Attention HR professionals. Are you tired of dealing with poor performance from your managers? Are you sick of having managers run to you for every single little problem? Would you like to build the confidence and competence of your management team? If so, then contact Boss Builders. At Boss Builders, we specialize in building up the skills and confidence of your organization's managers. We do this through our popular Driving Results on-site training programs, our signature program, the Video-Driven Boss Builder Academy, and we even license our course materials so you and your internal training staff can get those managers confident and competent. For more information on how we can help you improve the performance of your organization's managers, contact us today at www.thebossbuilders.com or at 931-221-2988. Well, hello and welcome to this episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to management, those of you who are in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the transition to management. As the boss, you will probably be leading a team, and if you do that, you know that it is not easy. You've got to get the job done and manage the personalities, and you still have to manage to be a nice person. Well, our guest today is going to give us some tips on how to be a great leader of a team and how to build better teamwork. Our guest today is Arnold Sano. Arnold is the president of Arnold Sano Professional Development. And he works with companies all over the U.S. and international, helping them build better teams. He's got a lot of experience. He does a lot of speaking. And he's going to share some really great information with us on this episode. Some things that you will probably not know and some things that maybe you have known, you just haven't done. There's no excuse after today. The beauty of Arnold's interview is that he gives you a lot of really good takeaways, some really easy-to-remember acronyms. And all of these are designed to help you as the boss better manage and get that team to perform well. At the end, he'll give you some of his contact information. He's got some great resources that are free for you, so make sure you tune in. And if you're listening to this on the road, when you get home, you might want to play it again and take some notes. You don't want to miss this information. So with no further delay, let's meet our special guest, Arnold Sano. Arnold Sano, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is great. I got your name from Sharon Armstrong, who we had on the show just a few weeks ago. And Sharon connects herself with a lot of really, really great people. And your name came up right away. And we're really glad to have you today. Our topic is going to be on teamwork and teams and how to get along better with people on the teams. And before we get into the questions... I was hoping you could share some of your background with our audience. Well, uh, Matt, well, uh, just to give you a little background, uh, I've been uh, literally doing this for about 35 years. Um, I've worked with um, about 20, I've literally done over about 2,500 uh, programs um, for about 500 different companies. Um, and I've written a number of books. Um, uh, the latest was called Get Along with Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere. And it's really on ways to create uh, uh, connections and rapport and relationships with others. Um, but more importantly, you know, besides the keynotes and the seminar, I actually get in depth with a lot of companies to help them, uh, you know, build better teams, uh, to prove teamwork by better communication with their colleagues, their coworkers, their team members, uh, and stakeholders. And uh, 
uh, and basically on that area. And uh, I've worked with everybody from uh, small companies to universities to IT companies to a variety. Uh, been in every state, worked uh, in every state as well as about 20 different countries. So just to give you a little background, that's where I'm coming from and, uh, uh, and have been working on the teamwork area and specifically teams that work through better communication, emotional intelligence, um, and interpersonal relationships. Well, this is going to be great. You're going to bring a really wide perspective. And our audience comes from a lot of those same scenarios and companies. So I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on teams and teamwork. So we're going to start. What I'd like to know is what are the three key ingredients that the best teams share in building solid relationships? Okay, when you talk about three type, three type ingredients, um, the really big thing that I've found that... The, through working with a lot of teams is um, respect is one. Um, and these are what I hear from going to the team after team after team and what, what the ingredients really make a difference. It's respect is one, and I, I hear that over and over. It's recognition. And when I say recognition, that's showing appreciation um, on a regular basis. And a lot of times, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, they always say the bad things, they never say the good things, and um, it, it keeps getting into that area. So it's respect, recognition. And then purpose um, would be the third thing. Um, you know, people want to belong. They want to have purpose for where they, you know, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging, a sense of like they did something uh, instead of just going to work. And, and those are really the three key areas. I mean, there's a lot of areas, but um, as we'll see as we, we walk along today, but, but those are the three key areas that seem to come up uh, all the time uh, in the groups that I work with. And that's interesting because, again, you work with so many different groups, but you've got a common thread. So what are some of the best companies to work for and what are their philosophies around teamwork? Well, when you look at the best companies, um, and I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of these, and, and Fortune Magazine every year comes out with the top 100 best companies to work for. And, and some of the ones that, that come up, and uh, I, I like to use examples of these, is like Southwest Airlines. Um, and I, I can't tell you how many years it's been, but it's the only airline that's been profitable for, I think, about 35 years or 36 years at this point. I, I can't give you the exact number on that. Um, but I always remember the vice president at one of the meetings I was at one time said, uh, you know, I always ask, what's your key to teamwork? What keeps teams working well? And he said, our productivity, is, and I always like this quote, he said, our productivity is the result of the trust we have with each other. If you have the right trust, working relationship, environment, and positive communication, the work gets done and the customer keeps coming back. So team, good teamwork relates to good customer relations. You know, I always like places like Wegmans. Um, this was rated number two this year as one of the best places to work for. And Wegmans, depending on where you are in the country, it's a regional chain. It's a regional grocery store chain. But the, the person who was the, the key person there said, our number one priorities are our employees. If they are content, then everything else works out. So the, the key is when you look at a lot of the philosophies of a lot of these areas, they work on that aspect of it. And another one that was interesting too, so the, the way you really you know, consider some of the best companies, so we look at Wegmans, we look at Southwest Airlines um, as, a, as another area there. And I always like this one by Agilent um, Technologies. And I was sitting in a meeting one time and it was interesting because I was sitting, I, do, I was doing a keynote speech for them and I was sitting next to the president of the organization. And um, I said, which, and again, I always ask, what's your key to, to teams, what's what's what work makes a team work? What makes what, what's wrong with the team? What what's good about it? And um, you know, somebody you ever have somebody give you a great idea and you write it on a napkin, for example, and 
then you blow your nose, for example, and then it's like, oh, God. <laughs> the great idea was gone, so I, I don't want to gross anybody out. But, um, <laughs> and he said this. He said, 50% of all Ropsal success center around team dynamics. And the next thing he said was culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that got me thinking a little bit. And, and you know, when you talk about it, the good teamwork, um, culture is the what it's the values it's the beliefs it's the attitudes and and you can't just change a culture you know people can't go in and just say well i want to be like southwest airlines because southwest airlines it's the people it's not like okay we can be do no bag fees we can do this well that doesn't change the culture the culture is the people so when somebody new comes into the company the culture changes when a new boss comes in the culture changes and that's why it's so important like when you talk about new bosses and new leaders you were actually setting the culture um, for the for the group. Um, it can totally change based on what you do and what you say, and that can either be, you know, can either make it work, it can be great for the company, or it can be a disaster. So you have to think on all those different aspects of it. Um, and, and then when you talk about, you know, best companies to work for, this wasn't one of the best ones necessarily, but you can't just have words about it. For example, I, I'm sure you remember Enron, which was created the, the disaster thing, and, and, you know, the financial disaster. And I think when you walked into their company, uh, culture was uh, integrity, respect, communication, and excellence. And, and, and of course, all the leaders went to jail. So, you know, you could say all you want, <laughs> changes the whole aspect of it. So uh, the bottom line um, of this, when you look at good companies, and one of my clients I do work for is Lexus and Toyota. They have like, um, I work with their new managers coming in. Um, and when I say the new managers, the managers work for the corporation and they go out and help the dealerships. And they have a thing at Toyota, which, I, it, which is their philosophy, and it says their ESI, um, Employee Satisfaction Index, how employees get along, how the teams work, equals your CSI, which is your Communication Satisfaction Index. So, so the better the employees are, the better the teamwork is, it all relates to great customer relations. So your employee satisfaction index equals your customer satisfaction index. And, and it goes on and on and on and on. So uh, there's a number of those, but those are some of the ones that are, that are doing the best and some of their philosophies out there right now. Well, those are great. You know, I guess a company would want to spend a lot of money on consultants and try to get their performance improved. And you've just basically said it comes down to the people and the philosophy. And you know, for me, traveling probably nah, not as much as you, but pretty frequently, I'll fly Southwest anywhere. If I have to go to Canada, I'll fly them as far north as I can and drive the rest of the way. And then you mentioned Wegmans, and and we chatted earlier when we lived in Maryland. That that was they built one there, and to this day, this is the one thing my wife said she misses the most is going to the Wegmans. So, um, true, true, truly great companies, but the secret ingredient is the people. So, so thank you. So, well, let me ask you this then. You've sort of painted a picture of a great cult culture. What are some communication crushers that might derail team connections and relationships? Okay, and when I talk about communication crushers, you know, the point I want to really go behind that is when I work, at, work with people on team building and team leadership, uh, it's interesting because the reason I like to, one of the big factors of that and the reasons teams don't work is really communication breakdowns. And I, I'd say 90% of the problems I've seen in working with companies and government organizations and associations over the last 30, 35 years 
relates to some type of communication breakdown. And it, this could be like misunderstanding, mistrust, misinformation, miscommunication. And, and the problem when we talk about communications pressures in these fast-paced world, um, we do a lot of things that, you know, people, people aren't bad, but the tendency in this fast-paced world is the niceties tend to get lost. Um, for example, a lot of times there's, we do things inadvertently. So for example, if Mac, if you're my boss and I walk down the hall and I say, good morning, Mac, and you say nothing, um, and you're my boss, what am I thinking for the next three weeks? Oh, he doesn't like me, am I in trouble? Are those things that get in the way of that aspect of it. So those are things that, that you need to continue to keep um, looking at. Um, and when we talk about some of the communication crushers, and these are some of the things that come up in my organization, I do a little exercise with the group or what are some of the, you know, the, the crushers, the annoying things, the traits, the behaviors, the things that turn people off. Um, you know, that makes teams dysfunctional. And people basically, you know, give me things like uh, no appreciation, uh, lack of trust, not responding to emails. Um, it's sort of like having a, a team meeting. Uh, this comes up quite a bit too, hijacking conversations. Uh, you ever been in a meeting, for example, a, a team meeting or any meeting, and, you know, you don't get a word in edgewise um, because somebody keeps taking, o taking over the whole space, and the rest of the team does nothing. They don't say anything. What's the point? Why am I even doing this? Um, so you've got to look at that. Uh, you know, the other things that come up are interruptions, um, you know, uh, not saying, and, and this was interesting too, because uh, I had one team I was working with and uh, we spent, it was a two day retreat. And uh, one of the things they said was that uh, somebody in the group didn't say hello in the morning and it really disturbed them. And you know, you know who would think of that sometimes? And, the next day she starts saying hello and they got all excited like I did some great thing for them. But, um, you know, it's a little thing like that, that makes a difference uh, that you're there. So the key is like, you know, a couple other things too with these days with everybody having cell phones. And uh, one of the things I do is I work with one team, um, a, a group of managers. I work with them every month. I come in and we facilitate what are your challenges, concerns, and I facilitate the group. And it was interesting when I first started there, we went around to the managers and we got to each manager and said, what's your challenge? And as soon as I went to the first manager, what's your challenge or concern? Guess what the other group did? They all went to their cell phones and started doing texting and doing other things. Like I said, you know what, I'm not even the facilitator here, but um, you know, we all have ideas and we all need to share what they can do to ch challenge, you know, meet their challenges and concerns and stuff like that. So, and when you look at it, what does that really relate to? That really relates to a lack of respect for the other people in the group, which sort of shows me what their challenges and problems are right off the bat. So um, it gets really into mind and mindfulness, being present where you are. Uh, and one thing that might help to um, the people listening to this today when we talk about communication pressures, um, I, there was a book called One Word, which people may want to take a look at, but you might not have to read the whole thing because I'll give you this uh, synopsis right now but basically the person who wrote the book said just think of one thing you want to focus on you know how we try to focus on a million things and you don't do anything so what what the uh, the focus of the book was focus on one thing that you can work on so for example last year mine was be present and I had it on my computer I had it on my walls every day I looked at my calendar it said be present and you know how you focus on one thing you actually do it so when I go to meetings or if I talk to you in person, I'm only focusing on you, um, and I'm only looking at you. I'm not paying attention to everything else that goes out there. So I don't mean to keep going on, but these are some of the things 
um, that get in the way of the communication pressures. And it's interesting too, because one just I, I just I've been hearing this lately too. There's a term called mansplaining, which I never heard of before until about <laughs> probably heard of this, but um, I can see you know what that is. Um, but mansplaining is where um, you treat a woman like she doesn't really know what she's talking about, or she's not smart, or it's like it's like going. Um, it's like my wife the other day. We were getting a plumber came in to do something with our sink, and uh, she says, "Well, how will that?" You know the new sink fit. He says, "Well, there's a a sink. There's a button you push here, and then you you turn this thing with this." It was like so simplified, and um, it's definitely mansplaining. And, and my wife didn't get it, but to me, I'm thinking that's mansplaining. So you, you got to watch out how you you know treat people in certain ways too. And then the thing I'll just leave you with when we talk about communication clusters for those of you who are bosses, um, you know, working with your teams, you have to realize that you are not just one of the guys or one of the people. Um, and I was talking to somebody, this was a, a, a police department the other day where somebody was the, the person who was the, actually she was the sheriff of the department. She says, well, I'm just one of the, the gals or the guys. And I said, no, you're not. You know, every time you say something or do something, you know, people are picking up, well, should I do that or should I not? Am I in trouble or am I not? Um, you really got to watch out, like, uh, you know, who you go out to lunch with because then they think of it as favoritism. All these things tend to get in the way. So those are a few of the things um, when you talk about communication pressures. There's obviously a lot, but um, those are the ones that seem to come up the most when I uh, do this little exercise with the teams I work with. Well, that's a lot to pay attention to. I'm just thinking for somebody who's not paying attention, they're going to do these kinds of things and they're not going to understand why people suddenly tune out the, the mansplaining. I, I was thinking of manspreading where you sit on the metro and you take up two seats, but uh, that's a new one, mansplaining. Uh, I'm pretty certain if I tried that here, I'd be buried somewhere on my 32 acres and nobody would ever find me again. Well, let's shift the topic just a little bit. And I want to know from your perspective, how do you motivate people, Arnold? You know, it's interesting. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, the first thing I would do is I would just ask. Um, you know, it's interesting. People say, because everybody's motivated by different things. But, you know, one of the best things I ever did, one of the bosses I had that really stuck with me, and I, I kept doing this when I was like vice president of the association. And, and actually prior to that, I used to be the marketing director of the Marine Corps, um, all their facilities around the world as far as uh, bars, clubs, restaurants, and stuff. And, and the first thing I did uh, when I did all that stuff was I would always ask, um, you know, what, and, and, and I learned this from somebody else, but I always say, what can I do? And when you ask that kind of question, what can I do to keep you here? Um, it shows that you really care about the person who, are the, who is there. And I would do one-on-one -on -one meetings. And I think that really starts to get people motivated that you really care. So, um, and it was showing an appreciation. But but then I'd ask, what do you, what what motivates you? And, and and you think that something like time off or something, not necessarily for some people. And we sort of get the wrong impression. But the three things that seem to talk about motivation, um, the first one is uh, appreciation um, or recognition. And you know, there's an old saying, appreciate to be appreciated. When you really boil it down to it. Um, and so that's one. Um, the other thing is feeling of being in on things. And what I mean by that is sort of having a shared purpose. People want to know what's going on. And so, for example, being in a meeting, um, you know, you see teams where, you know, it's, you don't need to know this or that's not important. And the more you can bring people into things, the better it's all. 
Uh, also, when we talk about, um, the other thing is, this was interesting too, because this came up in a study that was done about with kind of about 10,000 different people in different companies. But they said sympathetic understanding for personal problems. So, you know, okay, my kid's sick, or, you know, showing them the empathy that is necessary for that. Um, and, and the one thing I would say that's, that I think a lot of bosses get mistaken as far as what motivates people um, is they say, well, I just pay them more money and they'll be motivated. Well, you can pay me, and that's, and, and let's put it this way. If you don't pay me money, I may not work, okay? And if you pay a lot of money, I may work at a place that I don't like. But the point of this is, is uh, you can pay me all the money in the world, but if I still don't like my job, I'm still not going to be motivated. So um, I, I think, because when I, when I ask managers, and a lot of new managers, what motivates people, that usually comes up as the number one from their aspect. Um, and usually on a list of people, it's, it's usually down the road. Now, there, again, there's a difference between motivation and working at a place. I mean, if you can motivate all you want and you're not paying me enough, I'm not going to work there. But the point is, if you want to motivate people, you've got to go beyond the money and appreciation, recognition, respect, um, shared purpose, sympathetic understanding for personal problems. They're all key factors that get involved. And then, obviously, ask them. What, so those are a few of the things. And now let's take a break for a quick word from our sponsor. What do you do when you have an employee who is highly skilled and highly motivated, but is still not successful? Some of these symptoms might be a person who's abrasive to others. Maybe they're not able to effectively communicate to others. Sometimes they say inappropriate things in meetings or in a one-on-one -on -one session. You observe them being culturally insensitive or highly opinionated. Or maybe they just have a few rough edges that need to be removed in order to be successful. In these cases, training is not your best option. At Boss Builders, we recommend coaching. Our strategic partner, Wisdom Tree Coaching, provides one-on-one -on -one or group coaching to resolve focus factor problems. The ICF certified coaches at Wisdom Tree Coaching use behavioral assessments and 360 surveys to define the root issue of the problem and then co-create solutions with the client. Wisdom Tree Coaching also facilitates a popular practical course entitled coaching as a discipline for managers. Your managers will get helpful and useful skills to provide a coaching approach with their direct reports to mitigate and eliminate focus issues. Remember, training fixes skill problems. The best way to fix a behavior problem is through coaching. Contact the professionals at Wisdom Tree Coaching at 304-549-4630 or you can find them online at wisdomtreecoaching.com. And now back to the show. You know, what's interesting is those, those things that are set to motivate people are the very things that result in your experience, the characteristics of the best teams. So there's, there's definitely a connection there. And, and I love the simplicity. It's, right. it's not about money. I guess I remember when we used to live in the DC area, every, every now and then I'd be driving down 270 and people in these beautiful cars and boy, they had the most sourpuss look on their face. And I thought that's probably what they call golden handcuffs, right? You just hate the job, but you can't afford to quit. So um, there's definitely a better way and, and, and some really good takeaways on that. So thank you. So let's, let's jump into when you start working with a team. Uh, what's the first thing you do when you're working with a team to set up the foundation for good teamwork? First thing I do is I, I go into something called guidelines and ground rules. And 
Um, this helps in a lot of areas. It, it helps, you know, overall get rid of all the communication breakdowns, a lot of things, because it's it's trying to understand where people are coming from and that, you know, you're not the gold standard on everything. It's, it's getting to see people a little different. And what I mean by guidelines and ground rules, um, these are the values, the beliefs. It's basically the culture that you want to set up. So uh, as a, let's say a new manager would come in or a, any manager for that example would start off, and, and I did one of these recently, and, and it takes a while to go through the process, but um, the first thing I do is I have the manager get up, uh, the, new, uh, the boss, and say, here's what I'm like, here's who I am, and, and there's an old saying, it's not what's said that's important, it's, it's not what's, it's not just what's said that's important, it's what's not said that's important. So for example, if I don't know where you're coming from, I may start, you know, thinking or, you know, per, maybe perceive slights or I make judgments and I make assumptions because I don't know where you're actually coming from um, in those areas. So, so a good example is I was at a meeting the other day and there was a woman in one of my sessions and she it was an all day session, but she wasn't listening. She was like on her phone. She just looked totally disengaged. And my immediate assumption or judgment was that she's not really, you know, she's not really uh, a good employee and somebody higher and I just had a really negative attitude and then later I found out that she had a terminally ill child um, you know she was waiting for a call from the doctor she was didn't sleep all night and, and you know the point is is if you know this stuff in advance you have a totally different opinion versus making these these snap judgments uh, that are coming from so when we talk about the the guidelines and ground rules it's letting people know your personality and where you're coming from and your communication style and you know, maybe you're an introvert, so I'm not going to, you know, jump up and joy for things, or you know, I may not come to the company event or something like that. And when people know that, they don't hold it against you or they don't make uh, wrong assumptions in those cases. Um, and so the guidelines and ground rules could be everything from, you know, when do we have meetings? Um, it could be like, uh, it could be stuff such as, uh, such as um, meeting. <laughs> I'm sorry, went into to meetings and. How we talk to each other, um, you know, should we discuss things in certain ways? An email can be a part of the guidelines and ground rules, um, but it, it solves a lot of problems once you get that figured out. So, so that's generally, basically, what it is. Well, it's just communicating the basic operating norms so that nobody's living assuming everything. And it's a powerful example too. We don't know what goes on uh, away from work, and so. That, uh, that curiosity, I think, is very important. So let's talk about successful teams. And from your perspective, what are the six characteristics that a team member needs to display so that everybody will sing their praises? Well, there's six key things that I always like to say. And the first one is attitude. And, um, you know, I don't mean to be touchy-feely here, but everything really does begin and end with your attitude. And, you know, a good example of this was, uh, and I did this a long, long time ago with Hyatt Hotels. I don't know if they still do this or not, but at some of the Hyatt Hotels, if you went to an interview and you did not smile at least five times in a five-minute interview, your odds of getting a job were nothing uh, in that case. They, they wouldn't even take you uh, in those areas. And there's a lot of companies that have that type of thing. And one thing I would suggest, when we talk about attitude, um, you know, how many of you see the good side of everything? I mean, there's a there's a thing, uh, an exercise you can do uh, called the flip side attitude. 
exercise. And this is something you may want to try. A number of million, well, I won't go a million years ago, but a long time ago, I, we had a contract with uh, National Gulf Airport in Washington, D.C., and we did a little exercise with the, everybody from the worker, you know, the people from the workers up to the managers. And we had like a, a really good response rate with that. But uh, to keep their attitudes in shape, we did something called a flip side exercise. And I would recommend this to people when you're listening to this today, is if there's something wrong, we gave everybody a thing went wrong, they had to say, what was the flip side? So for example, if you hated your job, the flip side is, I got a job. So you should be thrilled and have a great attitude. Let's say you put a debt in your new car. Well, you know, you should be thankful you didn't get an accident or you weren't hurt, um, you know, is another thing. Or like if you're stuck in traffic, uh, you know, a lot of people get all burned out of shape on that one. But the point is that your attitude suffers and you come in really angry and mad. But the, the thing is, well, at least I'm not the one holding up everybody. I didn't get hurt. Uh, you know, I can listen to my music. What's the flip side? I can listen to my music and stuff like that. So the point is, um, you know, it's, it was old saying, it's not the situations that happen in our lives, but it's how we react to them that really makes a difference. Um, so it, it really takes a thing. So the thing I would recommend is to do the flip side exercise. And then the other thing I always ask people to do is sort of count your blessings, which sort of goes along with the flip side. And I ask this question. So anytime your attitude suffers, one thing you should do is ask yourself, what am I grateful for at this moment? Um, and I don't, you know, know how to, but, but think about that. What am I grateful? Because you can't, so, you know, you're stuck in a meeting you don't want to be to. Well, at least I have the job and I can be in a meeting. Um, you know, uh, at least I'm not hurt. And these are things to look at. So um, the thing is, the two things is a flip side. And then also, what am I grateful for this moment? The second thing, so that's attitude. Second thing that sings your praise, be reliable. And that means do what you say you're going to do. Do it when you say you're going to do it. You know, do it right the first time, get it done on time are all key things. And I, I know in some cases you can't guarantee things, but a long time ago, and I'll just have, I just have to mention, I thought this was sort of funny, but there was a company um, in Hawaii, it was called the Kona, Kona Garbage Company. And I did some work for them a million, a long time ago. And they said on their truck, we guarantee complete satisfaction or double your garbage back. So, um, you know, there. Uh, the third thing is being responsive. And that means being accessible, available, willing to help, to go above and beyond uh, on that. The fourth thing is to be credible. And this really gets into trust. Um, and when we talk about trust, um, there's, there's three dimensions of trust that I like to focus on. One is competence, you know, the ability to do your job. You know, so for example, if your financial advisor has, your, your financial advisor would have good background, experience, track record, um, but, the, but do you, you have the ability and you come across as competent. Second thing on trust to get people to trust you is honesty and integrity. You know, are you keeping your promises? Are you not telling lies or, uh, about your investments? Are you hiding things? I mean, this would be for a financial planner in that case. Benevolence. Um, you know, and what I mean by benevolence is there's an old saying, um, you know, if, you're not, if you don't care about me, I don't care about you. So, you know, people are more convinced on that area. So. It's not just selling something to sell something, but it's to go from there. So it's the actions that you take uh, that makes a difference. Uh, the next thing in that area is appearance. And an old saying, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. But what does everybody do? They judge a book by its cover, unfortunately. So, um, you know, and it could be on your dress when you go into places. Like, so, so for example, you, I think, Mac, you travel a lot. And, you know, different companies and different organizations some you'd wear a tie and other places if you wore a tie they wouldn't trust you at all so 
Um, it just it just is, has an effect on that aspect. Uh, and then the last thing there is empathy. And there's an old saying, um, you know, we talk about empathy. Empathy comes from the heart um, in a sense of, of what you care about people. And I always say, uh, you know, to the extent that you can treat someone as special and solve his or her unique needs, they'll continue to come back. They'll continue to use you and they'll continue to like you. The only thing I'd say on empathy is don't do fake empathy. Um, and what I mean by fake empathy, if you're not familiar with that group. Or the, uh, so, for example, one time I was in a, um, where was this? I was at a meeting and there was a woman who came up to me and she says, you know, I, I just want you to know this was the middle of an all day workshop. And she said, you know, I just I've been sleepy. I haven't been really paying attention. And then she says, however, I had a really bad pregnancy. And guess what I said? I said, oh, I can understand. And she says, no, you do not understand. So, you know, only, only show empathy in that aspect of it. Um, and then also one other thing I'd say about empathy, uh, don't hijack the conversation. You know, some died or something like that. And, you know, don't say words like, well, you know, it, it could be worse or something. You know, just it's not the appropriate you don't know how I feel. Or I know how you feel, yeah. So don't say, don't say, things, <laughs> uh, you know, watch what you say, or, you know, it could be worse, you know, all those different aspects of it um, that get in the way. So um, those would be the six things to, to really take a look at at this point. Well, that's, it would be great if everybody on the team decided to do all six of these. That's highly unlikely. So we start with ourselves and maybe that's the type of behavior that we'll start to get from others. So um, thank you. Well, yeah, the only person you can change. Yourself, so. Well, I guess so. Well, let's get to another sticky one here. And that is how do you say no and, and talk to others in a nice way? Okay, how do you say no? And, you know, we, we, a lot of times we have these difficult conversations that we have to have with people. And what do we do? We avoid it. We avoid the issue. And when, it, when we avoid it, what happens? It just gets worse. And um, so a couple things that I would suggest when we talk about how to say no, uh, let's say somebody is late for, uh, let me give an example on this one. Let's say, um, uh, let's say somebody's interrupting you at work. Okay, so... I like to, I have a technique, it's called the USA technique. And when somebody's, when somebody is late for work, let's say, let's say, if I can use you Mac, I'll say, Mac, you know, um, instead of saying you're late for work and I'm gonna throw away the key and don't do it again, you can say that and they might show <laughs> up again, but what are you doing? You're chipping away at the connections and the relationships that you have. So I say, Mac, you know what? I understand, um, I, I understand that, that, that this, that, well, I'm sorry, not late for work, but interrupting. So, so you're interrupting me. So, uh, Mac, I understand this is important to you. And by, by the way, when I say this is important to you, I'm empathizing with you. I'm validating you. I'm making you feel important. I understand this is important to you. When, uh, however, the S would be the situation is this. I've got this report that's due out at 4:15, and I found out that managers who give reasons give a lot more compliance than managers who don't. So. Mac's interrupting me, so I said, Mac, I understand this is important to you when you come in. However, here's the situation. I've got this report that's due out at 4.15 today. And then the A is action or alternative. Why don't we meet tomorrow? You know, um, you know, why don't you get lost? I wouldn't say get lost, but why don't you do something else? Um, why don't we meet tomorrow? Or why don't I see it another time? Or um, give them an alternative to the situation. Um, and the purpose of this is to keep the connection and the relationships alive. So, so many people... They maybe ignore you, they 
you know, say I'm busy right now, or and, and you know what, the thing is, a lot of people may not come back when they need to, um, and it's just a lack of respect for people in that area. So that's how to say no in a nice way for a difficult conversation. The other thing I would suggest that you might want to consider uh, when we when we get into a situation, let's say somebody's like, um, uh, you know, how do I have that difficult and talk to people in a nice way. Uh, and the one thing I always like to do is I like like sort of a formula. So let's say, um, you know, what's a good example of this? Um, okay, let's say some. Let's say you're late for a meeting. So let's say Mac, um, you're late for a meeting, and I'm going to lock the door and throw away the key. And that'll work. But again, we're chipping away the relationship. So if you're late for a meeting, I'll say Mac, you know, um, I feel um, uncomfortable or I feel concerned. You could use both words. I feel concerned. When you're not on time for meetings, and then the next thing I'd say is something like, because, you know, it hurts productivity, you know, where people want to be here. Um, and then I'd say, um, it, you know, people want to, we want to start on time, and I'll pause for a minute, and I'll say, um, I'll come again, and, to, and I'll do another because, because if you come on time, then, you know, people will like you, and um, people want to work with you, you'll get more respect. And by the way, when I say something like that, there's a little acronym called WIIFM, which means what's in it for me, which is, you might want to, people may want to remember this, that's the key to persuasion, because maybe they don't care that they're ruining other people's times, but hey, this will get your respect, it'll keep your, I wouldn't say keep your job necessarily, it'll help you in certain ways, people will like you, and so that's a benefit to them, and then I'll say again after that, what do you think? So. It's just one formula you can use, but I'm very concerned on how people, the words people use sometimes that uh, that destroy relationships and destroy connections. So, for example, if uh, you know to talk in a nice way, if I say, "Well, you did this or you did that," you know, eventually you're just going to get defensive with me, and so you're never going to uh, go on that. Or if you use like some type of term like, you know, Mac, that was very stupid, or that was unprofessional, and and. Unprofessional means nothing. Stupid means nothing. It, it, what is that unprofessional? You were unprofessional because you did this, 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 and this. So the words you use, the tone you use, um, all these factors um, play a part when we talk about the, uh, you know, uh, talking to others in a nice way. Well, I love that because it's okay to say no. And, and that's where I think a lot of people fail. They're, they don't want to make everybody mad. So they say yes to everything. And the alternative then is the flat no. And, and so you have a nice middle ground here. And I think it's a great formula. Well, let's, let's end our time together. And let's talk about something that I know a lot of people hear. And that is a topic that is referred to as emotional intelligence. So help us understand what that is, Arnold, and why that's important. Okay, emotional intelligence is basically how you manage yourself and your emotions. And I, I think a lot of people don't really understand this too well, but there's there's five key ingredients to that. And the first one is self-awareness. And the, the people have high emotional intelligence. Um, they we need to know and understand our, ourselves first. You know, we need to understand, you know, are we an extrovert? Are we introvert? You know, uh, what we like, what we don't like. But we know what's going to trigger us and what's not going to trigger us. But But understand sort of where we're coming from. The second thing with emotional intelligence is self-regulation. And this is like really managing your emotions, you know, managing anger, for example, um, and handling that and, and not maybe taking things so personally when they come around and understand what your triggers are in that area. 
and, and interesting when I talk about managing, uh, you know, manage, uh, uh, self-regulation, uh, one of the things that comes up too is you got to understand yourself a little bit in that area. Um, and for physiological aspects of this, there's a, a little acronym I always like called HALT, H-A-L-T. And what I mean by HALT is a lot of times we become upset at people or irascible or, you know, just, just angry at people um, because of some physiological reasons. And when I say HALT, think about, I want the people listening to this to think about this. The next time you have a meeting with somebody or have to talk to somebody, ask yourself these questions. Am I, don't go in when you're hungry. Because I don't know about you, but you ever gone into, you have to talk to somebody and you're hungry, you start to get a little more quick and tense, and you say, what do you want? You know, you, you just because you're hungry. Already. The other thing is angry. You came into work already angry. Uh, let's say you had a bad traffic situation or a fight with your spouse. Uh, you come in, you're angry, and you start taking that out on everybody else. Uh, the third thing, when we talk about HALT, H-A, and the L is lonely, and it's where people don't feel like they belong. And the best organizations I've found um, even on the volunteer basis, you know, they get vol volunteers leave quite often when they don't feel connected or people work in cliques and stuff like that. And that's where I'm coming from from the loneliness as lonely aspect of it. And then the last one is tired. Um, you know, it's interesting. I do a lot of these all-night flights from California back to Washington. And I, the next day, I do not answer the phone because I know, like, uh, you ever been really tired and you're just trying to... Um, you want to talk to somebody, and it's like you get. What do you want? You want to, and you just get more tense, and probably lost more customer. <laughs> yes. Now, I never talk to a customer. I'll lose them immediately because I'll say, "Okay, that's fine." What do you want? It's like, so, um, so if you're you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, um, you know, when we talk about self aware, self awareness, self regulation, you need to keep that in mind too. And that'll that's something of the physiological reasons. Uh, the third thing about this is self motivation. You know, how do we motivate ourselves? How do we have that self-talk? Um, you know, like a lot of times we have the self-talk, I can't do it, I, I do it, I, I will do it, I won't. And it's interesting because besides helping leaders and teams get along better, which is really my main thing I do, I also work with people on presentation skills, and a lot of them are scared to death to speak in public. And, and they have this self-talk to themselves, I can't do it, I, you know, who am I, you know, all these other people are better, and... You know, they, and so one of the things exercises I, exercise I do with them, and people may want to do this, is I have them write down 25 times before they go out to speak, I'm the greatest speaker in the world, I'm the greatest speaker in the world. I'm the, now, don't show this to anybody because they'll think you're totally narcissistic. But, you know, <laughs> it, but, but when you look at it, you start, you know how you start believing stuff if you keep going over and over and over and over and telling yourself that versus like, you know, I'll never do any good or this will be terrible. And if you say something's going to be terrible, your speech will be terrible, believe me, so... Uh, so that's so it's the self-talk that gets in the way of people on that. Another thing I do with the self with the self-motivation is I have people write letters to themselves saying to, to the, the self-talk in a way that says, okay, you know, like I am great. You know, who are you to say this? Who are you? You know, sort of fighting yourself in that way is another thing. Uh, the fourth thing is empathy. We've talked about that into that, and that's really turning into the feelings of others. And we've all heard that term on empathy is uh, walk a mile in my shoes. Um, but I, I want to take it a step further. Um, and here's something you got to think about. Before you walk a mile in my shoes, you need to take off yours first. So um, mm. before you walk a mile in my shoes, you need to take off yours first. And you know how we make snap judgments about people and things? And I, I never get controversial. Like one of the things I do in all my workshops is I never talk about 
sex, politics, or religion, because I'm going to disengage half the group there. But um, you know, some mm-hmm. examples there that fit in, and, and uh, you know, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but they, you know, in the, the National Football League, they have people uh, what was it bending knees um, during the national anthem. And again, I don't want, I don't get into arguments whether this is right or wrong. But some of the things I always tell people is like, um, again, before you walk a mile in my shoes, you need to take off yours first. And, and again, I always ask myself when somebody does something that I immediately jump out against or something, why are they doing that? What's the reason behind it before making that self uh, that self judgment? So that's the empathy uh, that comes in there uh, on that aspect of it. And I always like when we talk about empathy too. Uh, Maya Angelou used to say, I learned what people, I, I learned that people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And it all goes back to the way you treat people. And then the last thing there is effective relationships. The fifth part of emotional intelligence, it's interacting pe- with people, it's sharing skills with them uh, in those areas. So again, the five things just to remember that is uh, self-awareness, self-regulation, um, self-motivation, empathy, and effective relationships, which is what we were talking about earlier today. It's interesting. The time we've spent together today, Arnold, was on, you know, how to be, how to have a better team. And and people go through all sorts of iterations and events to, to become a better team. They'll go to ropes courses and they'll do corporate events. But everything that you've suggested all begins with the individual just trying to be a better human. And I think that's really powerful. You gave us a lot of really good acronyms, HALT and USA. That's some good stuff. Arnold, we appreciate you coming on the show today. How can my audience reach you and, and get some of your resources? Well, one thing, they could, a couple things they can do. I do have a two-minute uh, two tips uh, email that goes out, and which is, uh, when I say two-minute tips, it really is two-minute tips. And um, sometimes people's attention spans are low. But um, the point is that the, the email goes out about once a week, and it, it has like, key things on like, uh, you know, uh, just had a self-assessment on how well do you get along with others and dealing with bullies at work was another one, eight ways to deal with bullies at work. So it's really quick little things that you can read and share with your team. And you can get that by going to speaker, S-P-E-A-K-E-R, at Arnold, A-R-N-O-L-D, Sano, S-A-N-O-W, dot com. And if you, and also if you go to my website, um, arnoldsano.com, that's just my name, A-R-N-O-L-D-S-A-N-O-W.com. Um, you can see some of the programs we do. And then also, uh, I have a store there which um, has books, if you, any of the books that we were talking about today. And I have these little memory card decks to remind you and team building activities you can use. So those are all um, on there at this point. So it's uh, arnoldsano.com. Uh, and if you are interested in the presentation skills part, I do have another book on that too. Um, present with power punch and pizzazz that came out just a while ago and that's uh, on another website called speakingcoach.com so those are two websites that you can take a look at awesome well arnold thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, share your thoughts on teamwork this morning we really appreciate it and i want to push the audience get to arnold's site Again, that is Arnold Sano. Make sure you don't forget the W at the end and check out uh, especially his amazing list of clients. So, Arnold, thanks again. And uh, best of luck as you work hard this year to further your influence. I appreciate it. And it was a pleasure talking to you today.
Well, thanks for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast. You know, if you're listening to these as you are commuting to and from work, I would highly recommend you listen again when you get home just so you can take some notes. We do our best to get you great information. And sometimes if you're like me, you got to write the stuff down. On another note, for your further development, if you work for an organization and you think that it would be valuable to partner with us, which I think is a good idea, we invite you to check us out online at thebossbuilders.com. We have three options, our signature driving results on-site workshop, which our trainers come out and deliver for you. We also have our very popular Boss Builder Academy, which is video driven. And we also offer the option of having your organization license our training materials so that your trainers can go ahead and deliver them on site. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher, the other thing we'd appreciate is if you could just take a moment and leave us a brief, positive, of course, review. That would really help us out a great deal. And refer this podcast to anybody you know that you think could benefit from it. Until the next time we meet, get out there, boss up, boss on, and more importantly, make a commitment to being the boss at being a great boss. Goodbye.